Our scripture reading this morning is Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 21. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked each other, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Greetings to you all this Lord's Day, it's Pentecost Sunday. So throughout Jesus' ministry, there was uh, consistently a promise of something coming, almost from the very beginning, from John the Baptist. Uh, he talks about a, a baptism of the Holy Spirit. But, but in John's gospel, we, we hear Jesus talk about an advocate who would come, who would teach the disciples, who would remind them everything that Jesus had taught them. In Luke, uh, after the resurrection, Jesus speaks about one coming that will, will be, um, have been, will be clothed with power from on high. And then at the beginning of Acts, remember Luke and Acts are 
the same author, Jesus tells his disciples not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the gift that's coming. So we have this promise again and again, something's coming, a, a teacher, an advocate, a power, a gift. And today, this Pentecost Sunday is the day we mark when that gift arrived, when God's spirit was poured out on the early Jesus followers and the church was launched into mission. It's been almost two months since Easter, and it can seem, it can seem like a long time ago. And oftentimes, it's easy to see these events as quite separated, the death and the resurrection of Jesus and Pentecost, but we would do well to see them together. The, the Jesus' death, his resurrection, his ascension, and now Pentecost should be held together because now is the time when the benefits and the blessings that Jesus has won through his death and resurrection, now those are being poured out. Those are being applied to the disciples. Because Jesus has now been exalted, exalted as Lord, because he's received power from the Father, he can now pour that out on these followers. He can give that promised gift. Just a brief background on Pentecost. It was a Jewish festival. It was known as the Feast of Weeks. It, uh, it took place 50 days after Passover. It was uh, one of three Jewish pilgrimage feasts in which every adult male who was Jewish was commanded to come to Jerusalem. So as our scene opens today, we have what's Pentecost. It's this Jewish festival. There are these believers, this early church that's gathered. We think it's probably possibly the 120 that Luke mentions in chapter 1 of Acts. When all of a sudden, there's a well-known story, you know this, a blowing, it sounds like a violent wind comes upon them. And then they get this incredible visual where these, uh, what looks to be tongues of fire comes and rests on each person's head. So we have these, we have fire, we have wind, we have these, uh, these signs in the Bible of God's presence. Uh, if you remember way back, uh, it's, it's with fire that God manifests God's self in the burning bush to Moses. It's a, it's a pillar of fire that leads the Israelites in the wilderness. So no doubt, I think we would all agree this is a spectacular event. This is one surely the early church never forgot, which is why all these years later we're talking about it. I'm sure whatever Jesus' disciples expected this promised thing to come, I'm sure it, they had no idea what was happening. But, but I want you to notice something. I want you to notice who is really, who, who does the text tell us is amazed by all that transpires here? Interestingly, we don't actually hear that the people who experienced this violent wind and these tongues of fire are amazed, though I'm sure they were. It was those on the outside that were amazed. It was what the text says, these God-fearing Jews from every nation that would have likely come for this festival, they're stunned by what happens. They are, as one commentator put, their minds were blown. They're bewildered. They're utterly amazed. They're perplexed. Like, why is that? What is it that's so stunning to the people on the outside of this event? Well, look at verse 6. Because each one heard their own language being spoken. So again, we have, we read these passages, these people from all over the place that have come here. And, and man, Doris, you did a great job with those names. That's, I, I always have a little bit of sympathy for the person who, who reads the passage on Pentecost Sunday, because you get all these names of places that really almost mean nothing to us. But, but here's what you can just briefly notice about this. If you were to pull out a map 
in all these places, Phrygia and all these places, Cappadocia that Doris read, basically every direction from Jerusalem, north, south, east, west, these places are scattered. Because by the first century of Palestine, actually there's more Jews living outside of Palestine than there are within it. So we've got Greeks, Romans, Africans, Arabs. We've got all these people who are there in Jerusalem and are stunned when they hear their mother tongue being spoken. I want you to notice this. I think we missed this. The first gift, this long-promised Holy Spirit, the first gift is the ability to speak in different languages. The first gift of the Holy Spirit is actually less about Jesus' followers and more about those on the outside. And we sometimes, understandably, we see this language of tongues, and immediately, if you know kind of 1 Corinthians and Paul, you're going to think, oh, they're talking about speaking in tongues, which is one of those gifts that Paul talks about, but I don't think that's what's going on. That's not what's going on here, because when Paul talks about speaking in tongues, he, he makes it very clear that there needs to be an interpreter. There needs to be someone who can translate. In other words, usually what's being spoken is unintelligible, but it's the exact opposite that's happening here. The language is not unintelligible. It's crystal clear to the people. They, they hear in the most clear language their mother tongue. I lived in, in West Africa where Abel lives. I was for about two years essentially the only English speaker in my village. And I would go through some pretty long stretches where I would not speak any English, except for maybe to my dog, Jasper. And after a while, if you, some of you have probably spent time overseas where, you, where English is not spoken. You begin to crave to speak your mother tongue. And so I would, after a long stretch of time, I would I would go and I would uh, try to ride my bike or take a bush taxi to go visit another Peace Corps volunteer. And I remember how good it felt to speak in my mother tongue. It was, it was sweet, not just to the mouth, it was sweet to the ears. The language just came pouring out. Navigating a culture, if you've done it when, when it's not your first language, I think it's exciting, it's a wonderful, I think it'd be great if all of us experienced that. It's not easy, especially at first. It's mentally exhausting to try to communicate another language. It's frustrating. Often you just cannot communicate what you really want to say. Even after your proficiency grows, you often, you can't, it's hard to make jokes in another language. It's hard to do nuance. Uh, it, there's all these things that you just can't quite do because you don't have the proficiency. So some of these God-fearing Jews had likely been in Jerusalem for a while. Some of them might have even moved to Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, they hear it. It's like a siren calling out to them. It's like a siren that draws them in. They, they rush to the source of the sound because they hear the declaration, the wonders of God in their own tongue. Like Notice it's not that they just hear the declaration of the wonders of God. They hear it in their own tongues. And what's interesting is because most of these God-fearing Jews would have likely spoken uh, Aramaic and likely Greek. In other words, there was a lingua franca. If you know what a lingua franca is, it's a, it's a common language that acts as a, a, a way for people who speak different languages to communicate. And they basically had that. God could have at Pentecost just said, this needs to go out in Aramaic or this needs to go out in Greek. But God chooses for the good news to go out in their own tongues. And I think for those of us who are English speakers, we, we need to do a little work with this because we are basically accustomed to the rest of the world 
speaking our mother tongue. I mean, you, you know, Americans are notorious for traveling overseas and expecting people in that country to speak our mother tongue. Like, why is that? Language, learning a language is hard. It takes effort. It's humbling. You often find yourself butchering somebody else's language. It's also a form of power. Who, typically, whoever has the power gets to dictate who speaks what language is spoken. So, again, I didn't get your permission, Abel, but I'm going to use you again. Is that okay? Bell's from Benin. Benin has a lingua franca. It's French. And when I was there, I, I learned French. I was working in a school, and so that's where I put my effort. I was working with educated folks who spoke French. And not once did I speak French, and people were utterly amazed or bewildered. French wasn't their mother tongue. French was a legacy of colonialism. Their mother tongue was Nago. And when I would try quite poorly, to speak to them and not go, very often they would light up. That's when they were utterly amazed. The woman at the market would turn to the other one and say, that white guy hears not go. See, when you speak to someone in their mother tongue, you're doing more than just communicating. You're saying, I value you. I respect you. I value your culture. I value diversity. I'm going to try, I'm going to at least try, I'm going to butcher it, but I'm going to try to speak your language. I love that the first gift of the Holy Spirit was the ability to speak different languages. You know why? Because it means that we serve a God who loves diversity. You know, sometimes, and understandably, people have read the story of Pentecost and said, well, this is the reverse of the Tower of Babel. You know, that's when God uh, uh, he's created all these languages and he scattered the people. And now what we're having is we're having uh, all, the, all the languages come together, but that's not really what's happening. See, God is giving through the power of the Holy Spirit the power to speak in different languages. In other words, when the gospel of Jesus Christ goes out into the world, it doesn't flatten diversity. No, it, the gospel embraces diversity. The gospel ce- celebrates diversity. These God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven not only get to hear about the wonders of God, they get to hear about it in their own tongue. They can now go back to their home, their nations, their people, and declare those wonders in that tongue. Those of us who have uh, gathered here this morning have quite literally come from all directions, north, south, east, west. We have Youngstown to the north, Poland to the northeast, Elwood City, PA to the east, New Waterford to the southeast, Columbiana to the south, Latonia to the west, Greenford to the Northwest, a whole bunch of places in between. Just within the last two weeks, I've visited folks from our congregation as far north as Warren and as far south as Rogers. And let me tell you, those lands can sometimes seem as far apart as Cappadocia and Phrygia. 40 miles away, and in many ways, culturally and geographically world apart, different mother tongues. And one of the really important things about Pentecost is that the Spirit is poured out on each person. The the, the tongues of fire don't hop around and hop on Christiana and then go to Elizabeth and then skip a few people and then go to the other. They come on everybody, men and women, young and old. And by doing this, God enables these 120 people to go out and proclaim the wonders of God in, in a language that people could appreciate. 
we, whether you know it or not, we actually have a diversity of languages that are spoken in this congregation. Just within the last week, I have had uh, somebody in our congregation sing the praises of the Pittsburgh Symphony Orchestra and another sing the praises of a certain front-end loader on a tractor. We speak lots of different languages. Some of us speak both those languages. You are bilingual. Maybe you don't even know you're bilingual, but you are bilingual, maybe trilingual, because you speak a language uh, that, that your group of friends, that your neighborhood, that your possible fellow hobbyists, that people who share your passions, that they speak and understand. And as we hear about the wonders of God in this space, our task is then to be propelled out by the Spirit to go north and east and south and west, back to our places of work, back to our neighborhoods, back to our communities, with the task of creatively translating and proclaiming that message in ways that those people can appreciate and understand. You're going to be able to do that in ways that I can possibly do. You're going to be able to know how to communicate in ways they get it. If you, if you know the Eugene Peterson's translation of the message, I think it's interesting how that project of Eugene Peterson making that paraphrase of the Bible, it grew out of his work with his congregation up in Maryland. He was there for a long time. And, and he, he, he's in that congregation. He listened to how people talk. He listened and listened for years and years, and he began to then start translating. I think he started with the Psalms. The vernacular he was hearing the people speak into the biblical language. He was translating into language they spoke, that they got. And the core of the gospel message is going to remain the same, but as it goes out into the world, as you carry it out into the world, it's going to go out in different forms. It's going to go out in different vernaculars, many of which you already speak. But another task is that we're going to have to expand our languages. Like we're going, to, we're going to need to communicate the gospel to people who actually speak a different language than us, who have a different mother tongue. Here's, here's my tip for you in learning to speak a language. There's two things you have to do, I think, to learn a language. You have to talk and you have to shut your mouth. What do I mean? In order to learn a language, you have to get over the fact that you're going to make mistakes. Sometimes you are, like I said, going to butcher the language. You're going to put your foot in your mouth. You're going to try to say you're embarrassed in Spanish, and you're going to say you're pregnant. Right? If, you're, if you've learned Spanish, you might have tripped into that one. If you wait to try to speak a language until you can speak it perfectly, you're never going to learn that language. If you wait to speak about the wonders of God until you have all the words right, until you have all your theology worked out, until everything in your life is worked out perfectly, your biblical knowledge is right there, you're never going to open up your mouth about the wonders of God. But here's the other thing about learning a language. If you don't shut your mouth, you're also not going to learn how to communicate in another language. You can't just learn a language by talking. You learn it by listening. You hear the way people use that language and you begin to mimic it. If all you ever do is talk, and sometimes you'll meet people like this. They're learning a language, and they'll just talk, 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 talk. It's because they can't understand it. They haven't stopped enough to learn to listen. You're not going to learn the language. Learning a language involves both speaking and listening. We need to go out from this place, north, south, east, west, opening our mouths to the wonders of God, and at the same time closing our mouths, and just listening to people. I am convinced in our moment in time that there is 
one of the best ways we can witness to our world is just to listen to people. When we take time to listen to people, we're not only showing them love and showing them respect, we're learning their language. We're learning about what, is their, what are their hopes? What are their dreams? What, what are they scared about? What do they love? And when you learn to listen to someone, you're going to be able to better translate the gospel into a form that they both understand and they appreciate. So first thing I want you to see here, our God is a God who loves diversity. And we as followers of Jesus are called out in diverse languages to proclaim the wonders of God in language that people understand and appreciate. But here's my question here. I, I, kinda, I know this and I know this in my head. Where do you get the courage to do this? Because if I'm totally honest, I find this personally very challenging. I have a lot of inhibitions. I'm afraid I'm going to say the wrong thing, even as a minister, or that I'm going to make them uncomfortable. And I think what we learn from this text is that we're going to have to first have a drink. We're just going to have to have a drink. Because look at this. The Holy Spirit is poured out on these people. And look at it. They begin to speak in these languages, but they're amazed. But, but notice, it's just a little line. A bunch of people think they're drunk. But they've had too much wine. Like, have you ever thought about what's going on? I, I, I had not really thought about it. I heard a guy preach a sermon and he spent a little bit of time talking about this, and I was like, yeah, why, what is going on there? Why do these people look drunk? Like, think about what are the classic signs that someone's had too much to drink. Often it can seem pretty jolly. Right? A person can seem pretty happy. There's a, there's a physiological reason for that. There's a, alcohol activates a part of our brain that triggers dopamine to be released, and at least temporarily it makes us feel good. The problem is over long term, it can change our brain's chemistry and actually can lead to depression and anxiety. So in the long term, alcohol tends to do the opposite, but at least in the short term, it can elevate your mood. That's why people drink it. Alcohol can also temporarily impair your ability to, uh, to you don't have as much anxiety or fear. I mean, there's a reason why we, we talk about alcohol as being a social lubricant. It loosens the tongue. Like people will say things after they have a drink that they would never say before they had that drink. And it's also why people make pretty bad decisions after they've had too much drink because those inhibitions and those fears are gone. And but study, interestingly, studies have shown that alcohol can even make people temporarily more empathetic and trusting of others. So let's go back to this question. What is it about these 120 disciples, these Jesus followers that makes them look like they've drunk too much wine. Well, their tongues have been loosened, right? They've gone from this group that's huddled in this house to freely proclaiming the wonders of God. Their inhibitions have been taken away. Like, look at Peter. We, we know Peter a little better, I think, after going through Mark's gospel. A few weeks earlier, Peter is at the middle of the night. He's by a fire, and he doesn't have the courage to proclaim Jesus' name to one woman by a fire in the middle of the night. Look at Peter now. There's this massive crowd in front of Peter. There are no inhibitions on Peter's part right now. 3,000 people were added to the number that day. Their tongues have been loosened. Their inhibitions have been taken away. There's also signs, if you keep reading in this chapter, that they are full of joy and empathy and trust. Right after Peter gives his speech, we read that, they, that the fellowship of believers is eating together with glad and sincere hearts. They genuinely enjoy being around each other. They're sharing their possessions. We've talked about that. 
in a couple of weeks, a few weeks ago. When a need arose, there's empathy. When a need arose, they sold property for the needs. They're exhibiting all the signs of someone who's had too much to drink, but in the best way. They're being filled up not with wine, but with the Holy Spirit. Paul in Ephesians writes this, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul's saying you can, you can fill yourself with, up with wine, and it might you know, make you feel good temporarily, but it's going to ultimately lead you not to a great place. Or you can fill yourself up with the Spirit, which is going to lead to songs and praise and thanksgiving. Pretty early on in the pandemic, one of our neighbors, I was talking to one of our neighbors who, who works in a business that sells alcohol, and she basically said business was better than ever, which would line up. Many of you have probably seen some of the statistics in the last year of the pandemic. Alcohol consumption has increased quite a bit. Um, it was an incredibly stressful time. It is still, even though we're moving towards the end here, hopefully, people were stuck in their homes. They lost their jobs. There was this incredible amount of uncertainty, especially at the beginning. I mean, a lot of parents are all of a sudden having to become teachers in their house, trying to manage their kids' schooling. We lost some of our social support. We couldn't gather as a people. I mean, there's some, there were some tough things that happened. And, and people started, some people started turning to alcohol as a way of dealing and coping with that stress and uncertainty brought on by the pandemic. Why? Because alcohol works temporarily. It can take off the edge. It can reduce the symptoms of stress and tension. But it only lasts a little while. And usually you're worse off afterwards than you were before. One of the things we see in this passage is we are in need of a power. We're in need of a gift that's outside of us. If we are left to our own devices to go out and declare the wonders of God, I think we're going to struggle. We're going to find ourselves timid. We're going to find ourselves with our tongues tied. We're going to find ourselves huddled up, maybe in this place. Maybe we'll just be huddled up in this place. Maybe we'll just be content with the status quo. Maybe we'll be pretty sober. Maybe we'll just be more and more inward looking. And what we need is from something outside us to fill us that loosens the tongues, that gives me and you courage to speak boldly, that pushes us outwards into these communities, that gives us the ability to face adversity. And we know there's going to be adversity in life. It gives us something else that we can turn to to face adversity. We need the energizing and transforming power of the Holy Spirit poured out into us. And not just once, again, and again. See, in Acts, we have this very dramatic scene at the beginning where the Spirit comes upon them and is poured out. But we also later on see that the Spirit comes on in less dramatic ways. Actually, just the, the last time, maybe a month ago, we were looking at Peter's sermon before, before the Sanhedrin. And the first thing that we read before he begins to speak is that he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter, as I talked about, he's in this powerless position. He needs courage. He needs strength. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. Not because, like, between Pentecost and the speech, Peter had lost the Holy Spirit. Because he was in a situation, he needed it refilled. I think it's easy in our path of discipleship to start thinking we're doing this on our own. 
I just want to be clear, we cannot, nor do we want to even try to do this discipleship thing on our own strength and our own wits and our own courage. We need something external to ourselves. We need a refilling of the Holy Spirit. We need that power from on high to clothe us. We need that advocate who will remind us of our master's teachings. We need to become drunk, but not on wine, drunk on, filled up on the benefits and the blessings that Jesus won at the cross through his death, his resurrection, his ascension. Pray with me. God, this day where we remember when your spirit was poured out in such miraculous and spectacular ways on those early believers, we celebrate that. Lord, we also don't just look back. We look at ourselves now. We ask again that that power, that Holy Spirit be poured out again, that we be refilled. Many of us might have felt like our tank has been empty of the Spirit. I just ask that you would fill us back up. You would loosen our tongues. That you would give us boldness. That we might go out from this place and proclaim the wonders of you and your son, Jesus. That's his name we pray.